Welcome to Multilingual Montessori, a podcast where we discuss multilingualism, multiculturalism, and raising children from a Montessori perspective. I'm Gabrielle Kutkov, an AMI Montessori guide and TESOL instructor with a master's in child studies, and I'm the founder of Multilingual Montessori. You can find me on Instagram at multilingual.montessori and at multilingualmontessori.org. Today we're doing something a little different. This is the first episode of what will become a series of check-ins with my good friend and new bilingual mom, Samantha. In this first conversation, I'll introduce you to Samantha and her one-year-old daughter who is learning both English and Italian at home. We'll talk about the current joys and challenges Samantha is experiencing with her daughter's bilingualism and what her daughter's language use is like right now. Then we'll check in in another three months to see how things have changed. I'm excited to share Samantha's journey with you and have the opportunity to follow up with her throughout the next year. These conversations will probably be a little more casual than my typical interviews. We envisioned these as more of a conversation than an interview, especially as you get to know Samantha and her daughter as well. If you haven't gotten a chance to listen to the previous episode with Elizabeth M. Castillo about multilingual homeschooling, be sure to check that out next. Elizabeth had some really great advice for parents of school-aged children who are learning multiple languages. And if you're still in the baby stage, be sure to check out the Montessori Babies course from Bianca, who is the guest on episode 47, who's offering a big discount to listeners. The Montessori Babies course is now available for $97 instead of $252. So check that out in the link in the episode description for that discount. Okay, let's get into my first conversation with Samantha. Well, hello. Welcome to this podcast. I feel like we talk so much off air, so it's nice to have you on my podcast. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like a celebrity being on here. (laughs) Oh, you are. Um, Tell me, well, okay, let's start by talking about how we met. So we met in 2011 when we were both doing a Fulbright in Italy. And everybody did orientation in Rome. So it was a little bit like summer camp vibes. And you meet all of these really type A, high achieving individuals who are on this grant program for a year in Italy. Um, Now, I was doing an English teaching assistantship and you were doing a research grant. So um, I guess tell me a little bit about your background with Italian and why you decided to do the Fulbright, what city you ended up in, a little overview about that experience. Sure. Uh, Yeah. I can't believe it's been that long since we met. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So my background in Italian starts, I do have like a family heritage. um, And that was part of the reason why I started studying Italian. I did in high school I took Latin and my undergrad had a language requirement and I was like I really want to study abroad let me choose like another language and just use that as a launching point to studying abroad so I chose Italian and uh, ended up minoring in it 
Uh, and while I was studying, I studied abroad twice in Siena. So I went once for a summer and then went back for a semester. And even when I got the Fulbright, I was like proficient, but I wouldn't say it was very good. <laughs> um, it wasn't until the Fulbright year when I was living with lots of different people in an apartment, um, I had applied to live in Florence. And uh, the apartment that I found, I lived with an Italian from Sicily, a German and a Spanish woman. And so our common language was Italian. Um, so that really forced me to get much, much better. And I, you know, just like living on your own, um, even finding resources at the university that I needed, speaking to different people. So the research that I was doing was interview based. Um, and specifically, I was interviewing migrant communities in Florence. So I had to speak Italian better and better. So just like learning not only how to speak about my research, how to speak about myself, which I was probably most proficient in because that's the kind of stuff you do in language classes. Um, but then like to start to learn the language, to be able to talk to professors and other researchers uh, in Italian, not Fulbright, but at the university. Uh, so that's kind of my background in Italian. I got much, much better. And while I was there, I uh, met my now husband who moved here to the United States in 2015. Uh, and we always kind of spoke both languages to each other. We have a tendency to speak I think of it like as the secret language when we're out and about. So when we're in Italy, we speak English when we're out. Um, and then when we're here, we speak Italian when we're out um, before we had our baby. So um, we're kind of bad about that. But um, not that we're talking about anybody, just that <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of, I noticed what we default to. Um, and then at home, we were, I would say, a little bit more skewed towards English, um, probably somewhere around 60-40, um, maybe even 70-30. It just kind of depended on who was most tired. Um, I'll say, though, that really early on, we, um, I talked to, I have a lot of friends that have uh, couples that are multilingual, and uh, one person gave me the advice early on to say that um, everybody fights in their own native language because we both understand, um, but we speak more fluently in our own. And that has been a lifesaver for us. <laughs> that is really good advice. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Um, so then, well, okay, a couple of things I want to ask you about. Another thing that we, um, bonded about post Fulbright was our journey to getting Italian citizenship. So yes. I didn't really know that you were getting yours until you already had it. I didn't know I was eligible to get mine until years later. Um, but what was that experience like for you? And 
did you feel any more Italian when you got it? What was, what was that journey like? Oh gosh. Yeah. Um, I decided to get my citizenship when my husband and I were getting more serious and planning on getting married when we had talked about that kind of stuff. Uh, just simply because I wanted to make sure that bureaucracy wasn't the middle of our family life. So we both have citizenship in the United States and in Italy, so we can come and go as we please within reason, I guess. Um, but uh, the process for me was interesting because basically we stumbled on the paperwork. Um, I didn't back then, I mean, not that the internet was new, but I would say that the resources um, weren't super great. And uh, when I was applying, uh, so just finding out if I was eligible, where to get the paperwork that I needed. Um, so I was eligible through my great grandfather uh, who uh, had kind of an interesting story of coming to the United States. Um, but we had his uh, birth certificate, which I only figured out because I could speak Italian. <laughs> so I could read the birth certificate that my grandfather just had in a bunch of papers. He was just kind of a little paper hoarder. Uh, so yeah, that was um, kind of a big surprise. But once I realized we had that, which to kind of formalize that paperwork, found out that the town that my great grandfather was from actually changed names post World War II. So um, to get all of the official paperwork was um, interesting to just kind of discover that. But then to get everything else um, was more or less a breeze for me, thankfully. And then um you know again bureaucracy can take a long time so it it took a while for us to actually get the uh confirmation that i got my citizenship i'd say that um for me to feel more italian i i don't know i think my identity with italianship is um is an interesting one mostly because I, my research for the Fulbright was really about uh, membership, group membership, so in and out. So I think a lot about who is an in-group and how we assimilate and how we as a community make people feel comfortable. And I think uh, it's interesting kind of everybody's definition. Um, and so do I feel more or less Italian I don't know. I I think that might change over time, maybe more so than I did before. But I've always felt a strong uh, tie to the country. So, um, you know, my grandfather's first language was Italian, and he was born in the United States and was actually kicked out of elementary school until he could speak better English. Uh, so like there's all that family folklore and stuff like that, um, that I think is, is just kind of interesting. So, um, yeah, but I'm, I'm happy to have the privilege to have that citizenship and kind of everything that it will afford my family now and into the future. So, yeah. 
Yeah. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about bilingual parenting. So when you knew, when you found out you were pregnant, what did you and your husband kind of talk about or anticipate as far as what languages you would speak and how that might look? Yeah. When I found out that I was pregnant, um, I think Gabrielle, you were one of the first people that I told because I was like, (laughs) I need to understand what we need to do. And, you know, as with most, um, cis hetero relationships, uh, I'm carrying a lot of mental load for that kind of raising of the children. Um, And so I started freaking out about it because while, you know, the, I'd say that we have a fairly balanced household when it comes to culture. Um, We do celebrate a lot of both traditions. Um, And even just like on the daily life, like our patterns, I would say skew sometimes a little bit more Italian and sometimes a little bit more American, depending on what we're talking about. But food, for sure, which is very central to our family, is very Italian. And I know that my husband is, uh, you know, very proud, and I am as well, um, to be a part of that community. And so it was really important for us to pass on that language, despite being in a place that doesn't have a lot of people that speak Italian. And so uh i started reading right away and talking to you gabrielle um so for listeners (laughs) to catch up um i had like a ton of anxiety about how to do it right um what was the best path forward and you know being a listener of this podcast actually and just having like a direct line to gabrielle finally kind of gotten to the point i would say that i have still low level anxiety but much more acceptance when it comes to, you know, knowing that there's no like perfect. Um, And so just kind of reflected and had come to some level of acceptance on that. Um, So I think thinking about it with anything as a journey and there's no right way and just kind of balancing it out. You were very helpful in determining what our path forward would be. And so we really take the path of when uh, my daughter and I are together, I speak English with her. Um, But when the three of us are together, my husband and her and I, we speak in Italian primarily. Sometimes, you know, there's slip on all sides, my husband or myself. Um, but almost primarily we, we, we do the three languages and then we have a lot of video chats. I live a few hours away from my family and obviously living far away from his parents. So we have tons of video chats with this baby, um, and speak the language of whichever family we're with. So, um, there's a lot of like demonstrating multilingual or bilingualism in this case. Um, so yeah, that's the day to day. Well, I'm so glad I was so helpful in determining your language 
approach. Um, so your daughter is almost one. She's turning one in a few days, right? Yes. Uh, so what has this first year been like? What have you noticed in her and in yourself? Um, yeah, I know that babies don't really speak for most of their first year, but what is it, what has it been like so far? Yeah. Um, I like to say she lets herself be known. So (laughs) she's definitely a great communicator, even without a lot of words. Um, but she did say, I, I consider her first word to be mama because she really was very clear about it around six months that both meant me and milk there's kind of like a mixed um relationship there um because i am breastfeeding right, her right. so mama equals milk <laughs> yeah exactly so anytime she'd wanted there she was mama so like right around six months i'd say that's when she was started to became really clear about it then uh, my husband is from tuscany and instead of saying papa like the rest of italy um they actually say babbo um and so we call him babbo and she will not go all the way but she calls him baba um so even if i say where's babbo she'll look for him but she will say baba um at this point and i can't really remember when she started that but that's her new favorite word of course (laughs) (laughs) um so there's a lot of that but i do i have started to notice even like the last month um a lot of a lot more recognition of words um so we started some baby sign language um recognizing that you know the deaf community uh, we are not speaking asl Um, but I do use proper ASL signs when I'm working these with her. Um, so started really simple with the basic ones, um, more eat, um, milk, that kind of stuff that even going to baby story time or something like that, they're all over the songs and things like that. But we do use um those i think right now we've got around 20 signs that i use kind of regularly not kind of very regularly um and she started i'd say right around six months when she could sit up by herself is when i started but it felt like a struggle up until just recently that she didn't want to produce them so i tried not to really force her into that. But now it's her primary way of communicating um, when she wants something. There is some confusion with some of the signs. Um, Like instead of we've moved from more into just eat. Um, And so when she says more, she'll just do the eat sign because she's very uh, motivated by food. But it's really funny because she is starting to connect things. So the other day we were talking to my in-laws and my husband speaking in Italian was talking to his 
father about something uh, and said, oh, I guess you just have to pay more. And on command, she just like started signing the more sign, um, (laughs) which is really exciting because we are trying to both use our individual languages with ASL. So to see her make that connection when it wasn't even directed at her um, was really exciting. Um, Yeah, so she's really catching on to some of this communication. it's been fun too to like be out and about with her and she'll just say like oh i'm hungry with it the asl sign and uh or the baby sign language and um you know i just stop and give her a snack or we come home instead of you know having that fight so it's it's really been great to start to see that um and i'm really hopeful that she'll start producing some more words soon um so that way we can have all kinds of languages going on. Yeah. So you mentioned that you live in an area where there aren't that many Italian resources or Italian people, Italian speakers. What are some ways that you've tried to meet people or connect with Italian language offerings in your area? Yeah. Um on a whim, I was kind of going through the website of our local uh, consulate and saw that they have um, in a larger town farther away from us, like three or four hours, they have a school for children um, to be with other children, to learn Italian and Italian culture. And I thought, oh, that's really cool. Maybe one day they might offer something like that for us. So I signed up for their newsletter and uh, that was some time earlier this summer and they sent out an email like a week later saying that they meet kind of regularly, like once a month. Um, So we just started going to their once a month gathering. It's been really great um, for me to practice my Italian as well. Um, they're very welcoming, but, uh, I find, you know, myself struggling with some new vocabulary that I don't know about the baby life, um, and caring for babies and things like that. Um, and then meeting other families of different ages. Um, some have young children, some have older children, but it's been fun to kind of just expose her to other different people speaking the language. I have a lot of anxiety around my grammar, which is decent, but not perfect, uh, obviously. But it's um, it's been good to have that opportunity to practice it. And then we do like, you know, the things that all parents do with their kids, just like the songs and the books. Um, I'm really trying hard to learn some Italian baby songs. I know a couple from my time there, but um, we're planning on going very soon to Italy. So I'm gonna try and speak to some of my friends that have kids and get them to teach me some more. Um, But then, you know, books are her favorite thing. So she'll just sit and read a book. So. We've got a pretty large library and um, are trying to add to it 
with some Italian uh, books. Uh, but my husband right now, I don't know if this is right or not, but his approach sometimes is just to pick up a book, any book, and if it's in English, he'll translate it on the fly. Um, I think right now, I guess that's fine. She can't read, but eventually she's going to be able to follow the words. So um, we're going to have to have another strategy for later. <laughs> but um, that's his favorite thing to do right now with her. Um, and she, I think she recognizes when the book is not in the <laughs> being read in the normal way, but he has some of the books that she just loves and wants to read over and over again. So um, in Italian. So that's awesome, though, even problem. when he translates, because then as she gets older, she will hear that same story in English and Italian. And so that will help her make connections, you know, between the languages. Yeah, I've done that. I've really tried to make sure that we have some of those, like, especially classic books that I know are in both languages. Um, we are actually finding that some of the books that have been gifted to us are originally written in English. Um, and some of them have beautiful translations to the point that it took us a while to figure that out. So um, hoping to have a fairly, you know, decent uh, options when it comes to that kind of bilingual stuff that just have the book in two languages and make it easy for her to choose whichever journey that she wants to take. Yeah. Um, so when you were talking about your Fulbright and in-group, out-group, it made me think a little bit about this experience that you had shared about this Italian group. And we don't have to get too far into it, but I think a lot of people would relate to mm -hmm. this feeling of like not being Italian enough and the mm -hmm. kind of parent politics that happen. Um, Absolutely. So is there anything that you can... Tell us about that experience and you know don't you don't have to go too far into it but i think it's very yeah. relatable <laughs> for sure um so with the uh italian group that i started going to it was really great like people were super welcoming to us and have been at every step of the way while i was at my first meeting met a family and uh, the woman of, of this family uh, told me about this WhatsApp group and said that it was women's only. So she told me that she would speak to the organizer about getting me in on this group. I was really excited about it um, because I had a lot of anxiety around being accepted for being American. Um, coming into this group. And we had talked about me having my citizenship and uh, everything throughout the night. But a few days later, she sent me a message on WhatsApp and explained to me that the group was exclusively for Italians. Uh, and I was really upset about it. I was really disappointed. Um, because I felt like this is the very first time that I wasn't enough to give my daughter this access to this thing that I can't do anything about. And I understand why groups 
might want to have their own thing. Um, so I don't fault them for it, but it was sad <laughs> at first. Um, because I was told like they do all kinds of unofficial organizing. Um, some of which I've kind of found out about after the fact. Um, but you know, in talking to you and some other friends, you know, I have kind of come to this place of understanding that I can do what I can, you know, there's only so much that I um, will be able to do. And I think doing my best is really all that I can bring to her. And so, you know, she's getting a lot of exposure in the house. And there have been some people that I've been able to make relationships with one-on-one. -on -one. So um, those are early days kind of still. So we haven't done any meeting outside of the regular meetup, but I am looking forward to making friends that I can, you know, have uh, maybe a more intimate exposure uh, about things that they do, but you know, like that's the case, I think in any culture, um, I wouldn't say it's exclusively uh, Italian at all, that there's just uh, trying to, there's a lot of pressure, right? And parenthood to do more and give more and have your child live a better life than yours and whatever that means, I mean, I think her life is pretty good. Um, I thought mine was pretty good too. And so just kind of trying to make sure that she gets um, the best while also recognizing that there is no best there. You know, we're just on kind of this journey um, together. So, yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. I think that is, yeah. I think that feeling of never being enough and, and the pressures of parenthood certainly seem to cover all areas of parenthood, but I think especially for parents who are trying to incorporate bilingualism or multilingualism, um, it is important to remember that your best is what you can offer and that is more than good enough. Absolutely. So you are going to Italy soon. Yes. And is this going to be her first time in Italy or did you take her when she was little? Nope. This is going to be all of our first time. Uh, first time on a plane. First oh. time <laughs> in Italy. Um, her Italian grandparents did come. Um, yeah. So her Italian grandparents came when she was two months old. Uh, so that was really great. But and obviously they've been seeing her on video chats, but um, to be able to spend a lot of time together, I think it's going to be wonderful to introduce her to the extended family and, you know, my family of friends that are in Italy, um, I think it's going to be so good for all of us. They've obviously been kept up with pictures and videos, but to you know be able to be there together in person is gonna be really great i'm really a little anxious though about some cultural things that i think we're just gonna discover together <laughs> um like 
eating times and sleeping times and uh, we've had a regular approach to uh, eating with like baby led weaning we started that pretty early so she's pretty proficient of course she is one so um doing much better than she was when she was younger but what the norms are around that the availability for different kinds of foods um and practices there uh yeah i mean we're just gonna go on this journey together <laughs> <laughs> how long are you going for it'll be two weeks okay Nice. So en enough time to like get adjusted to the time difference, get into a new rhythm Hopefully. and then leave. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. We'll, we'll just be on a whirlwind trip. Yeah. That's going to be wonderful. Um, yeah. And you know, even though she may still be too young to really like under, she can, she's not going to be able to understand it, but she is going to be absorbing the Italian language 24 seven. So that's going to be amazing. Yeah, it'll be exhausting, I'm sure, for the both of us. <laughs> <laughs> but you'll have the grandparents there to help yes. out. Yes, for sure. Okay, so is there anything else you wanted to talk about, about kind of how things are going and where you are and where she is? Because we're going to do a check-in again in a couple months, yeah. which I'm really excited about. And then we'll kind of have this to compare to. But yeah. Anything else you wanted to chat about? No, I'm excited to be on this journey. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing all of this. I'm excited to kind of follow up with how things are going in a few months. I mean, she's going to be talking so much throughout the course of her first or I guess second year of life, one year old year. Mm -hmm. um, so next time we talk to each other, for this podcast, at least. I'm sure not the next time we talk to each other. <laughs> you will have gone to Italy. Um, you'll have that under your belt with her. You're going to be a pro at international travel with a baby. So I can't wait to hear all about that. <laughs> and all about her Italian eating experiences. I am really interested also about if you see any differences in like maybe you maybe you know to anticipate some of these differences, but like how babies are included at mealtime, if that's different, or like babies staying up late with the adults versus going to bed at seven. <laughs> yeah, this girl likes her schedule. So we're gonna be rolling the dice a little bit, <laughs> figuring out what, <laughs> what happens. Yeah, yeah, it'll be good. Awesome. Well, thank you for coming on for our first conversation of many. I'm excited to do this little uh, check-in series with you. I think it's going to be really interesting, especially because we're able to start kind of right as she's about to turn one. So yeah, it's going to be interesting benchmarks. Yeah. Thanks for guiding me through this. I think this will be good for me to be looking for different kinds of things as well. So happy to be on this journey with you and everyone else. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's kind of like an exercise in observation. You know, observation is very big in Montessori. So it's kind of, um, yeah, maybe it'll like, uh, you'll notice other things you might not have kind of like consciously registered before. So absolutely. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, well, thanks. Um, and buon viaggio. And Grazie. We'll, we'll talk soon. Thanks again to Samantha for joining me for this first conversation. We'll check in again with Samantha and her daughter in about three months when her daughter is 15 months old, and we'll talk about what changes Samantha is seeing in her daughter's bilingual language development and in her own experiences as a bilingual parent. And I hope you'll join me next time when I'll be speaking with a Montessorian who works in the public sector, focusing on anti-bias, anti-racism work, and dual language education. You know the drill. You can follow me on Instagram at multilingual.montessori, and you can find more resources for raising and teaching multilingual children from a Montessori perspective at multilingualmontessori.org. Make sure you're subscribed to the Multilingual Montessori podcast wherever you're listening right now, and take a quick moment to leave a rating and review as well. It helps more people find the show. And of course, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with someone who you think would enjoy it as well. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.